Graphene is a new product that's going to bring amazing things to batteries in the not-too-distant future, and the subject of our interview today is going to tell you all about it. Plus, we take a look at all of Amazon's big announcements this week. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we've got a major set of announcements from Amazon with some really awesome technology. Plus, I've got a friend from the Android Authority days back to tell us all about graphene and some amazing things that he can do with batteries, and no, it doesn't involve nipples. But first, we need to get to our news of the week. So, before we get started, and this isn't tech, but just bear with me, I've been watching the YouTube series Cobra Kai. It's been on Netflix for a while. And I admit, I wasn't much of a fan of the movies, except to the extent that they were cultural icons in the 80s. And I had an idea for how this show could have evolved, and they took it in a different and, frankly, more realistic direction. It's not how I wanted it, but I was enjoying it, and I was all set to recommend it right up until I watched the last episode of Season 1, when, holy crap, crap did this show take a turn. Again, it was a predictable turn in hindsight, but I did not enjoy the last episode of season one at all. I'm still going to give season two a shot, but I'm not optimistic. So with that, let's get into it. So we ended last week by saying that TikTok had figured its crap out and that was fine. I had summed it up by saying that the Trump administration was basically bullying ByteDance into letting Oracle handle the hosting. Then on Friday, there were some serious doubts that that deal would actually pass muster, but I'd already written and recorded my script on Thursday night, so I was like, uh, whoops. But then over the weekend, it seems to have evened out, and TikTok will now be owned by Oracle and Walmart to the tune of about 20%, and the other 80% going to ByteDance. Oracle will handle the user data from the U.S., which means that U.S. data will be kept by a U.S. company except that it had previously been stored by Google, so that's better, I guess? But TechCrunch came out swinging this weekend, saying that the U.S. is getting left behind pretty consistently by Chinese companies. ByteDance in the social media department, Huawei in the 5G department. And it's only through aggressive tactics by the government that keeps the Chinese at bay, and that's frankly not sustainable. And by the way, if you want to add AI to the frying pan, the U.S. is getting served sloppy seconds in three very important technological fields by China. But you might be thinking, America has Silicon Valley and all that important stuff, and sure, but has Silicon Valley come up with TikTok or reliable 5G technology? Not so far. We can't even decide whether or not we want to wear masks during a pandemic, so no, I'm not surprised that America is getting passed by. But we're going to take things in a more delightful direction as LEGO released a Baby Yoda figure for pre-order, and yeah, you can bet I got one. Coming soon to a product photo near you, hey, IRS, I need decorations for my photography studio, so yeah, I'll be deducting that because, yes, I totally ordered one. It's $80, which is definitely outside impulse buy territory, but I asked the voice of reason in my family, and even she said yes, so hell with it, I'm getting a Baby Yoda! 
And like I said, the model is up for pre-order, and yeah, it is $80, so maybe you can think of better ways to spend your money, like, you know, on food or rent, but I won't judge. But yeah, I'll be getting it, and it'll be awesome, and I'm not letting my kids touch it, so who knows? It might actually survive longer than a week in my house. Ah, <sighs> dare to dream. This week saw the release of Samsung's Galaxy S20 Fan Edition phone, or as Verizon calls it, the Samsung Galaxy S20 Fan Edition 5G Ultra Wide Band, which The Verge claims surpasses Sprint's Samsung Galaxy S2 Epic 4G Touch for all-time worst phone name. And as you may know from this and previous podcasts, I'm something of an aficionado of bad names, and I'm not sure that this one unseats the Epic 4G Touch just yet. Sure, it's long, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. If you want to blame anyone, blame Samsung for stripping down a phone with crappier components and calling it a fan edition, because only a fan would buy this over the original and not be pissed off. I mean, it's, it's actually not a bad phone. It's got the Snapdragon 865 in there, but with only 6 gigabytes of RAM. The camera sensors are down to a more respectable 12 megapixels, which is honestly probably okay. The back is still plastic, which some will say is okay, and others will not. The screen's resolution is only FHD+, but it does have 120Hz refresh rate. All told, this isn't a bad phone for $699 or 749 for Verizon's millimeter wave tax model. But if you have learned anything from this podcast, it's that I won't let a silly thing like facts get in the way of a good joke. This week, Lenovo announced that it would start selling Ubuntu-installed machines to the general public. And this isn't really all that different from before, except Ubuntu-installed laptops were only available via enterprise sales. All told, there are 27 laptop models that you can buy with Ubuntu version 18.x or 20.x, depending on the model of laptop. Lenovo will even be able to provide support for those laptops should the general public run into problems. And here's a tip for my listeners. Sudo, S-U-D-O, solves everything. Well, that and Google, anyway. So overall, this is kind of nifty, and I admit I used to dabble in the old Ubuntu builds back in the day, but, you know, no big deal. Really, the main reason I stopped using Linux was because compared to Windows and Mac, it's just harder to do... You know, like everything. Like, Ubuntu is a great operating system right up until you actually want to install something. Then it's sudo this and sudo that and what the hell does that mean? Copy www.google.com, how to fix, paste. But what it occurs to me is that the kind of consumers that would need Linux and on their laptops can probably just install it there themselves. I'm not saying Lenovo shouldn't cater to nerds, but maybe they don't have to. But whatever the case, a third operating system is always fun, so we're going to call this fun. Tesla had its annual battery day this week, and coming from a company that is all about electricity, that could be pretty significant. Except it kind of wasn't. Elon Musk had no new batteries to show us, but they talked about batteries a lot, which I guess for a certain set of ears was probably interesting listening. Not my ears, but some ears. Tesla did mention its plan to eliminate cobalt in its cathodes, which is an ore that is mined under less-than-awesome conditions, and by less-than-awesome, I mean utterly terrible conditions that violate human rights. So eliminating that element would be a good thing for the world at large. Musk also noted that he's got his sights set on 2023 to build a compelling $25,000 electric vehicle that is also fully autonomous. Three years, huh? 
yeah, I'll believe it when I see it driving down the street with nobody at the wheel. I mean, look, folks, I like Elon Musk, but the dude has a tendency to over-exaggerate things. So I'm going to treat this like I treat other Musk announcements. Smile and nod and don't make any reservations. And speaking of Musk announcements... Elon Musk also announced that a full self-driving beta would be coming in a month or two. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, but full self-driving autopilot should never be released as a beta. That's one of those things like airline pilots or safety ropes where you really can't have a built-in margin for error. Like, if you're a rope company that sells ropes that break one in a hundred times, you're a bad rope company. Anyway, getting back to the announcement, Elon, test then test again, then test again, then test again, then test again, then you can release the software. Now, according to Musk, Tesla's engineers had to fully overhaul the autopilot software stack to make it less, you know, death prone, which is great. But again, this can't be a beta. You cannot ship the software until you are confident enough to say, Go ahead and fall asleep at the wheel, and if you die, your family can sue us. That's the only way you get to release this software. End of story. You can't put 2,000-pound boxes of death on the highway and hope that you've worked out all the bugs. You need to know that you've worked out all the bugs, and then be willing to put your money where your mouth is. Microsoft made a big splash this week when it bought up ZeniMax Media, which is the parent company for Bethesda, which, until this week, I thought was just a city in Maryland with a funny name. Remember, not a gamer. It turns out that Bethesda's Softworks is a major game developer who makes Fallout and The Elder Scrolls, among others. ZeniMax also owns id Software, who made Doom and Wolfenstein, and who was recently featured in a Netflix documentary series about the history of gaming. Fun fact. This boosts the number of in-house game developers Microsoft has on hand to 23. So I guess we found out what Microsoft did with all its unused TikTok money, huh? Of course, what this move will ultimately mean for Microsoft remains to be seen. This could lead to exclusive Xbox titles, which is not great for other gamers. It could also bolster Xbox's Game Pass offerings, but there are cheaper ways to bring games into an arrangement like that. It also could be just Microsoft picking up already successful businesses that have a number of hits under their belt already, which is great for Microsoft. But I mean, how many game developers does a company really need? Am I right? This just seems excessive, Microsoft. But hey, it's your money and you missed out on TikTok. So I guess you're making a mountain out of a game console. Quibi still hasn't figured out how to make money yet, not even with a catalog full of A-list stars and Emmy nominations. So it's decided to explore <clears throat> strategic options, including a possible sale. To date, by the way, I still have not watched a Quibi show. There are frankly just too many options out there. I'm not saying Quibi is a bad idea. Far from it. I kind of liked the idea when it first came out, but again... The saturation problem. There are simply too many other video services out there who, by the way, offer full shows at 30 and 60 minutes. Just saying. I don't know if Quibi will survive this. It seems like the most sensible thing to do is to recut all its shows into 60-minute shows and sell them off to Netflix or Amazon or, are you going to make me say it again, any one of the hundreds of other video streaming options out there? The thing is, I was supposed to get Quibi for free through T-Mobile, but even that process was not without its roadblocks, which ultimately led to my dismissal of the service, and apparently, I was not alone. 
Did you think we could get through a week without Apple and Epic news? Think again! Now, a number of software developers have formed a coalition for app fairness to promote competition and protect innovation of digital platforms. And yes, that's the actual name. According to the website, software developers Basecamp, Blix, Blockchain.com, Deezer, Epic Games, the European Publishers Council, Match Group, News Media Europe, Prepare, ProtonMail, Skydemon, Spotify, and Tile have established the Coalition for App Fairness, or CAF for short, an independent, nonprofit organization. <laughs> independent. Right. The goal of the coalition is to overturn Apple's App Store fees. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I meant to make sure that apps compete fairly in order to drive innovation and after meeting a certain threshold of users and power, then to cast off the rules and regulation like a bad case of fleas and let tiny app developers continue to wallow in obscurity because being a major app developer means you get to stroll around, dong out all the time, and then get to act all surprised when someone punches you in your happy place. By the way, did you catch the name of one of the companies in the list? Prepare, as in the app developer that we talked about a few weeks ago that Apple was suing for trademark infringement. Yeah, I'm sure this has nothing to do with that. That poor tiny little app developer that had to fire one employee because of big bad Apple. But sure, they have a time and resources to throw in with Epic and Spotify in this quest for equal treatment. Jeez. To think I actually felt sorry for Prepare. I mean... I'm still on their side. They're still totally right that Apple's lawsuit is horse crap, but this is not the way to fight back, guys. This is the way to make sure Apple's lawsuit drags out as long as humanly possible. And finally, a village in England whose name I can't even come close to pronouncing had a bit of an internet problem. Every morning at 7 a.m., the entire town lost their connectivity. It took them 18 months to figure out why. They sent out crews with frequency analyzers and everything. Finally, they found the culprit. A gentleman with a very, very old TV used to wake up and flip on the old tube, and apparently the old-as-all-hell TV sent out a signal that interfered with the internet for the whole town. Like, holy crap, dude. The resident, who asked not to be identified, said he would not use the TV anymore, and that's good. In related news, my 10-year-old daughter just bought a 32-inch Roku-enabled TV for $130. And speaking of which, that'll be the subject of our Tech Yeah segment this week, because it dovetails quite nicely. So let's wrap up the news and dive into the biggest announcement we saw this week, Amazon. So what did Amazon have to say? Well, a lot as it turns out. And just so we're on the same page, I'm not going to list off everything that Amazon touted, just the highlights. Stuff like the Amazon Fire TV, meh. Rings car security, meh. It's all there in the link in the show notes, so hit that up because digital trends work their butts off getting it out there, and I had a front row seat for it. Their hard work deserves a click, so click already. But now, let's get to the good stuff. Well, first off, 
Amazon completely redesigned the Echo. Now instead of a tube, Echo is a ball, and yeah, I can agree with that change. The price on the Echo drops to $99.99, which is also a plus. Inside, the Echo has a new AZ1 Neural Edge processor designed at shaving milliseconds off of Alexa interactions and responses. In addition to the updated internals, the Echo also serves as a smart home hub and bridge to Amazon's new low-energy sidewalk protocol, which I don't believe I've ever talked about on this podcast before. Sidewalk is basically a low-energy, long-range protocol that can be used to control smart home devices outside the home. Also, it can be used for anonymized data transmission for devices like Amazon Fetch, which is like a dog collar attachment that can help locate lost dogs. It's kind of like Tile in that way, but supposedly with better range and more ubiquity as every Echo device will now come with it. It's a power move for sure. Also changing things up are the Echo Dot and the Echo Dot with Clock. They have the same design as the Echo, ball-shaped, but they're smaller. Almost everything else stays the same. Finally, we get the Echo Dot Kids Edition, which comes in a tiger or panda pattern, like painted directly onto the device. It's actually kind of cute. The Echo Kids Edition features parental controls and a neat app called Reading Sidekick, where a child can read along with the speaker. Not only does the Echo read and take turns reading, but it also listens to how the child is reading and gives them encouragement or support as needed. Here's hoping it didn't take lessons from Happy Gilmore. Air, 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 Today, Junior! <laughs> we also got a new Amazon Echo Show, which starts at a hefty $250 and looks very similar to a Google Home Hub, but this has a neat trick up its sleeve. It can swivel. That's right, the Amazon Echo Show 10 comes with a swivel base that means it's accessible regardless of where you are in the room. Summon the Echo and it'll turn towards you, which is really nice because that means you can keep the Echo Show on a coffee table in the middle of a room. You know, assuming you have a place to plug it in that you won't be tripping people up on the cord. And then you can access it from anywhere inside that room. Amazon also added Zoom and Netflix compatibility, so finally, finally an Amazon smart screen you can watch Netflix on. Why it took this long, I have no idea. And actually, I'll be honest, I've never had an Amazon smart screen, but I think that the no Netflix thing was still a thing, right? Is that a thing? Anyway, there's also a 13 megapixel camera on the front for video calls. Plus, the swivel can be accessed remotely, meaning your Echo Show can also be something of a security camera as well. And just in case things weren't absurd enough for you, let's talk about the always home cam. You know what the problem with security cameras is? They don't move around. And even when they do move around, they just rotate or spin or get mounted on top of a Roomba, which just breaks the Roomba. Well, Amazon has solved that pesky problem with the Ring Always Home Cam, which is, and I'm not making this up, a drone camera that can fly around your house to make sure that everything is hunky-dory. That's right, it's a drone camera that flies around your house to check on things. Now, folks, I may be speaking out of turn here, but I'm guessing that if you need to have a drone that flies a camera around your house to make sure everything is okay, you probably made a terrible mistake recently with the local ninja clan. And I'm sorry, but a drone camera is not going to keep you safe from ninjas. They are very, very sneaky. So just do me a favor and forget the $250 for the drone camera and just go apologize to the ninjas. They can be a very reasonable bunch 
if you can find them to talk to them. They are very sneaky after all. But otherwise, all the drone cameras in the world are not going to keep you safe once they bust out those shurikens and start going crazy like crazy ninjas do. And by the way, local ninjas, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about other ninjas. So I'm sorry and don't come kill me. But finally, let's get to arguably one of the biggest announcements that Amazon had, and that comes in the form of Luna. What's craziest here is that I don't think anyone really knew that this was coming. There were no leaks or anything. Just blammo, here's the Netflix of gaming that you've all been looking for. And it is what it sounds like. Game streaming, just like Stadia, but with one key difference. Luna Plus will come with a ton of games at launch for just $6 per month. You don't have to buy the games. They're just available to play, stream to your device. Those devices right out of the gate will be the iPhone, iPad, computer, or TV via Amazon's Fire Stick. And Android is coming eventually. On iOS, the service will run through a web app in Safari, which is how they can make it work with iOS. Luna's big appeal, though, is the price, just $6 per month. But Amazon also noted that other game developers like Ubisoft will have their own channels and their own subscriptions, presumably. So it's more like the Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus yada yada of gaming that we've seen from the streaming industry. Is it awesome that it's happening to gaming too? I'm not so sure. Luna will also have a controller, which will start at around $50 during the beta phase of the service. Speaking of which, the beta phase is only available for the U.S., which sucks for listeners outside the States. Sorry, homies. Luna is still very much a thing, so how this will ultimately shake out remains to be seen, but it's not looking good for Stadia, that's for sure. So I think that's going to cover most of what Amazon announced. Like I said, there was some other stuff, but I think I covered the major highlights pretty well. There's links to all this stuff in the show notes on benefitofadow.com, so head on over, and if you pre-order a new Echo from my site, I would be very grateful. Today's Tech Yeah segment comes to you from my 10-year-old daughter who just gathered all of her birthday money up and went out and bought a smart TV because my kids are addicted to screens. In this case, she picked up a TCL 32-inch 3-series 720p Roku smart TV. Now, is this the most baller TV you can buy on the market? No! It's insanely cheap for what it is. It's a 720p panel, which... Yeah, they still make those, I guess, but it has built-in Roku, so you don't even need a separate box or dongle. Just plug in the TV, fire up the Wi-Fi, and you're golden. It also has three extra HDMI ports on the back, so you can even connect other devices if you need them. My daughter doesn't, because she lives on YouTube with occasional vacations over to Netflix. And I have to say, I'm a big fan of Roku in general. There's a ton of great content there. So why am I pimping a 720p TV in 2020? Quite simply because it's dirt cheap and my daughter was able to buy it with her own money. She's 10. You're probably older than that and you probably sit around and watch Quib Eyes on your phone. I'm just kidding. Nobody watches Quib Eyes on their phones and that's the problem. But anyway, you're probably sitting there consuming content on your phone or your tablet or your computer. And here's a 32-inch TV that costs less than any of those and it's ready to go. So look, this is not an amazing piece of engineering. Far from it. But it is cheap, and it would be great to stick into a guest room or a bedroom. Might be a bit big for a kitchen, but hey, I won't judge. So anyway, if you need a stupid cheap TV, maybe for your 10-year-old daughter, hit up the link in the show notes. And as always, a little piece of that will go to help support the show, and you'll have my thanks.
As long as 15 years ago, graphene was touted as the wave of the future in everything from electronics to medical breakthroughs to armor to space elevators. In 2020, we don't have a lot of that, but we have seen some great developments in battery tech as of late, and that is at least partially attributed to my guest today. Sam Gong graduated UC Berkeley's College of Engineering in 2017, and since then he co-founded Real Graphene in California, which aims to bring graphene to consumers in a variety of ways. Sam Gong, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. Well, it's, it's great to have you again. Um, listeners of mine might remember that we, uh, we also appeared on the Android Authority podcast. And so um, I wanted to take a minute to kind of revisit what, everything that we talked about there and find out what's going on for you recently. So to start off, I wanted to just kind of get back down to basics. And I just want you to, if you could, give me your elevator pitch in 2020. What is graphene? Well, graphene is this incredible material that's purely two-dimensional. Um, it's an incredibly good conductor of heat and electricity, and it is very, very strong. Um, some estimates put it around 30 to 50 times stronger than steel. So wow. um, it's really just a wonder material. Um, but the biggest issue we've with, I guess, and we've had also uh, so far is, um, as a human race, I guess, is the cost. Um, but what we do is we're able to produce graphene um, in a way where we retain all those amazing properties while uh, while it's uh, consumer cost friendly. Um, and being because right now the issue is a lot of products they can't apply graphene just because it's so expensive. And we're we're aiming to kind of break that trend. Nice. Okay. So what is the state of graphene today? And then I want to transition into what is the state of real graphene, your company today. So if we could just start off with like an overall view of the industry, we kind of mentioned that it was cost prohibitive, but have there been any, um, is there anything new in that arena? And also how is that affecting you as a company? Yeah, well, so there's two phases to it. So there's, so graphene has been in development for a long time. It's been well known how to make it. Um, you know, like I said, the biggest issue is cost, and especially with consumer electronics, cost, or uh, it's very sensitive to cost of uh, of products and you know, or services. So when you add graphene to stuff, it really kind of throws everything out of out of balance. Um, so that's why you don't see very much graphene at all in common consumer products. Um, mm -hmm. So the issue um, really comes down just to that there aren't really a lot of companies um, really producing graphene or they all kind of use this similar methods um, and most of the graphene that we do produce um, is in nanoplate forms uh, so it's probably like you've probably seen those flakes of graphene um, right it's kind of like a powder uh, but the graphene in its true form is a two-dimensional sheet uh, and that is usually kept kind of in a lab setting or kind of like small quantities in a, in a in a you know in a lab setting, it's not used in a large consumer product. The second a second issue with current day graphene is that there is no regulation on what a company when a company claims it uses graphene, and it's uh, it's very frustrating for me personally. Um, several years back, to see that a lot of these 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 products they'll call it graphene or something or kind of imply that it uses graphene when it really doesn't. Um, right. And that's kind of frustrating to me because, you know, graphene is wonder material, but I don't want, I, I kind of don't want people to think that um, 
it, it barely you know increases the charge speed of your of your device or whatnot. See, graphene, while being a a material, is also kind of a marketing buzzword. It's it's not unlike it's not dissimilar to like what AT and T was doing with the five five G. Exactly, I make that analogy and, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know it's it's it can be very deceptive, and while. You know, some companies might be using like graphite. Um, you know, you're actually using the two dimensional stuff, which, you know, which has the the properties that you're actually shooting for. And actually, that kind of transitions me over into the next question. Since you are using graphene in its two dimensional form, that has to be very hard to work with. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we do use nanoplatelets in some of our um, in some of our applications or even battery applications, too. Um, there are still uses for it, such as the electrolyte kind of gel material, mm -hmm. um, because uh, being able to increase its uh, conductivity is also very, very important. Um, so we still do integrate platelets. So that's kind okay. of where the sheet kind of component comes into. We use this in the, the, uh, the, the electrode material, um, and that gives it incredible property. Uh, for conductivity of heat and electricity, but since it's two-dimensional, it doesn't really physically uh, interfere with the shape or the physical properties of the battery. So you're essentially looking at a lithium battery, more or less, but it can charge a lot faster and it's a lot safer because of the way it naturally disperses heat. And heat is a major issue when it comes to like batteries and battery charging, and the fact that graphene is two dimensional. So I, I just just so we're we're kind of clear clear what graphene what your application of graphene is doing is basically adding graphene to a standard lithium battery in order to allow it to charge faster, dissipate heat better, be safer overall. And so um. You know, since you've since you've talked about some of your competitors and what they're doing compared to what you're doing, do you consider Real Graphene to be a leader in this field, kind of like leading the charge? Um, and and if so, why is that? What what are you doing differently? Yeah, so I I do feel like that uh, Real Graphene is leading the charge in the perspective of how we're penetrating consumer market. Um, because like I said before, there's a lot of great companies that you know that they work with this kind of stuff in a lab setting or it's very small volume. Um, but of course, those are limited to you know, small applications of small amounts um, with very, very high expenses. So, all right, so let's get down to, um, let's get down to the basics. Um, and, and as far as your products are concerned, you know, as far as like your, you know, real graphene products are concerned and the, the benefits to batteries in general, what are the benefits of using graphene in a battery that a consumer is going to say, you know, look at and say, I get that. What is, what's, what's the, what's the magic bullet that's going to allow consumers to see like how this is actually improving what they're doing. Like I get a graphene battery in my hand. What am I going to see? So you're definitely going to see super fast charge times. Um, okay. I mean, even in our power banks, you know, for the hundred watt, uh, 10,000 milliamp hour power bank, you know, that's about three and a half times your phone's, you know, battery size. Yeah. That will fully charge in around 20 minutes. So you're getting three full phone charges in 20 minutes. Okay. And for the record, you did actually send me the, I believe it was the 10,000 milliamp hour power that, bank. You might have 60 an older watt version. charging. Uh, yeah, I think our, it's a 60 watt. 
Yeah, so that's kind of a, it's an older product, but the ones we're coming out with is uh, is going to be 100 watt charging. Okay. Now, I just wanted to say, like, what blew my mind was, you know, I would plug in that power bank at zero, and I can watch the numbers count up on the on the digital display. Like, it'll be like 1%, uh, yeah. 2%, 3%, really and that's like just that. mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. It I, I, I actually, I had this. It had the same effect on me the first time I was trying it because we were trying to compare. Do we want pips, you know, the four dots, or do we want a, a power meter? And I, uh, we just kind of fell in love with using the actual numerical meter. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're looking for my input, absolutely, yeah, because it's just amazing to watch those numbers count up, you know, especially as fast as they do, and that's at 60 watts, and you know, like you said, that's an older version, that's at 60 watts, I can only imagine what it's going to be like at 100 watts, so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty impressive. Now, it should be mentioned, um, so for our listeners who are, you know, thinking about picking one of these up, the battery itself charges very quickly, and how does that translate over to that battery charging up, say, your phone or your laptop? How does it, does it, like, what's the, what's the benefit there, if any? So, uh, we usually don't uh, market any, uh, any advantage there, just because um, output charge is more or less limited to the device you're charging itself. So, okay. let's say you're using a Samsung phone, it's using a lithium polymer battery. Mm -hmm. You know, it's using lithium polymer battery. We just can't pump in that same amount of power. Right. Sure. But I mean, even so, like, I know when I go on vacation, for example, I know I want to take, you know, probably two or three power banks with me just because I've got a lot of stuff to charge up and I've got a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm going to need a couple of different batteries over the space of like, you know, say five or six days. But with this battery, you know, I know I can put that in my backpack, and even after I'm done charging up all my stuff, sure, that power bank's going to be empty, but if I plug it into a wall for half an hour, it's going to be back to full, you know? So, I mean, yeah. so I mean, to me, that is a tangible benefit, and that's why I'm, I'm excited to uh, be able to use that particular power pack. So, okay, um, so what is the most exciting part about working with graphene, in your opinion? Um, it's... Really, the the novelty and just seeing these incredible performance values. Um, I mean, like just the the fact, especially uh, more because we're more focused on graphene batteries. Just seeing all the varied uses of uh, what our customers use these batteries for. Um, but the thing is, also we because we also do graphene, um, we still do the sheets in um, in you know like the two D sheets and. Those can be used for thermal applications, and um, we have uh, a few th aerospace applications of those uh, sheets. Neat, neat. Okay, um, so in the perhaps in the future, you know, maybe someday. I'm not sure. You know, these days when you talk about electric cars, you talk about Tesla, and when you're talking about Tesla, you're talking about like the superchargers that they have that can you know charge up your your Tesla car in. It's an hour or whatever it is. I don't have a Tesla. I don't make that. I don't make <laughs> enough money for that. But anyway, if you were to say infuse a an electric a different electric car battery or even a Tesla car battery with with graphene, if we had a graphene enhanced battery inside like an electric car or you know a Tesla or something like that, how would that compare to like the supercharging that's possible today? Yeah, so we're actually we are talking with uh, many different uh, car companies currently okay. um, about using our batteries in uh, electric vehicles 
um, because you know with electric vehicles, there's two major components. There's the capacitor and then the uh, the capac the or supercapacitors and the batteries. Mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with kind of the difference of both of those? Let's assume I'm not because yeah. I'm a moron. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so capacitors they they can take in and put out a lot of charge instantly, but they are not very great in terms of long term storage. Okay. Uh, whereas batteries, the opposite. It's great for long term storage, but it doesn't like to uh, put energy take you know put energy out and take it in rapidly. It does so very slowly. Okay. Um, so reason why graphene batteries are such an attractive option. For car companies is because you kind of get the best of both worlds. Now you have a battery that can input and output large amounts of power. So you don't need a capacitor or you just don't need as big of it as a capacitor um, anymore. And that saves okay. a lot of space. It saves a lot of room on the car. Um, yeah. For our, um, for our testing, um, we've, we've tested our batteries in full sized cars, uh, sizes, and we can do about 50% full charge in five minutes. Um, or actually we can do it a lot less, but of course it's limited to the charger technology. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, still what? Yeah. yeah. So it, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 for us actually, it's, it's finding a partner who can even develop a charger that high speed, but we're, we're talking with a few people and there's, and we're, we have some very exciting, uh, hopefully we'll have some very exciting news down the line, but, uh, cool. you know, with the car industry, it's always, it takes, it's a longer process. Oh, sure. There's a lot more right. infrastructure needed, but if, yeah, we can do, um, let's say that if the, if the battery is the size of a model three, we can charge that in 50, 50% 50 in five minutes, no problem. Um, it'll take 15 minutes for a full charge after that. Wow. That's yeah. and that's this is awesome. while I'm sorry. This is why I should specify. This is while maintaining uh, those maintaining good life cycles or a an acceptable amount of life cycles too. Uh, okay. Because a lot of people know you can you can charge a battery super normal. You can charge a normal battery super fast. There might be heat issues and there might be some safety issues, but um, even if it does pass those issues, you're looking at issues with life cycles. Sure, um, that makes sense. And, yeah, you know that's that's a it's a big deal because you don't want your car to only have half the capacity after five trips, right? Or even fifty Does, trips. <laughs> if you ask a lot of people today, they're going to say that graphene is coming. Graphene is the future. You're offering products today, so then my question for you is: Is graphene coming, or is it here now? So I would say it's here now, uh, at least in the form of you know batteries. Um, okay. You know, we're selling it. It's. I mean, we're selling large volumes of it, um, and it's it's hard for us to keep up because we weren't expecting this much excitement um, over our product. Uh, That's a good problem to have. <laughs> it is a good problem. I mean, graphene is coming now, and we're starting to expand to other products other than um, other than batteries. Um, you know, those applications such as graphene clothes, where graphene can, uh, where basically the threads of fabric can be woven into circuitry. So when you're wearing a wearable shirt, it feels like a normal shirt, actually. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like there's any bulk to it. There's no wire, copper wires. There's no hard part to it. It'll feel like a normal shirt, and the circuitry can be woven into it. Um, and that's coming up pretty pretty soon. And it's it's really cool. exciting stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's so many applications for graphene. So we're in the part where it is starting, where, where we are starting to break into the consumer market. 
And I, I can only imagine, you know, within 30 years that it'll, graphene will basically be everywhere. Awesome. So if graphene is going to be everywhere and, you know, I, I, I want to thank you so much for all the time that you've given us so far. So um, I, I want to just ask you this one last question. What's coming next from real graphene that we should uh, look forward to? Yeah, so we're coming out with a new new generation of uh, power banks. Um, and we've basically, you know, the, the, our biggest issue before um, was uh, the surrounding accessories could not keep up with uh, the battery technology. You know, when we charge our 10,000 milliamp hour battery at 60 watts, we can actually push it much higher. <laughs> the reason why we do that is just because there aren't really a lot of 200 watt chargers out there or 100 watt chargers um that's fair <laughs> i mean those chargers were almost three times the size of the power bank so people don't want that it's uh, <laughs> yeah but the thing is we've um we've worked really hard on the i would call the accessories part where the you know there's a pcb that controls the power bank um has to be able to regulate those high speeds then there's the cables that can even you know carry that much current and of course the chargers that can put out that uh, amount of power relative to its size without being too big. So this new generation, we've got three products lined up. Um, we've got our 5,000 milliamp hour, which is about one and a half times the size, uh, sorry, one and a half full charges for your phone. Mm -hmm. And that will fully charge in 18 minutes or less. Um, nice. And that's basically gonna be hitting the markets, I would say within, uh, I think within the month. Um, and uh, we've got our second product, which is another, which is a new ten thousand milliamp hour, which is a hundred watts, and that okay. will fully charge in about twenty three minutes. And that's you're getting three and a half full phone charges in about twenty three minutes. Nice. And, um, nice. Then we've got our third and our last one. Um, I can't reveal too much about it yet, but it's a twenty seven thousand milliamp hour power bank that's geared towards uh, drones and uh, laptops. Uh, so basically, basically more like much bigger devices. Okay. And it is going to be so powerful, you will need two USB-C cables to plug into it while charging. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. it's obscenely powerful. That's all I can say. But it's going to be really exciting once we once we reveal it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, and hopefully you'll be able to send a few my way so I can text them out for my uh, for myself. Yeah, of no course. pressure, no pressure, <laughs> no problem. I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, we're, I'm really excited about our product, but we, I kind of want to work our way up from from small to big. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's, it's yeah, it's some really exciting stuff down the line. Well, that's exactly what I'm hoping to do with this podcast: work it up from small to big. And I very much thank you for your time, Mr. Sam Gong. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Real Graphene is going to be doing in the future. And um, hopefully, we can have you on again sometime soon, and we can talk about. Real graphene clothing or new power banks or whatever you have next up your sleeve. Yeah, it's great to speak with you again, Adam. Um, I'd love to uh, update you once we once we get to that point. And hopefully it'll probably, I think it'll, I'm, I'm estimating it'll probably be like the holiday season by, uh, by the end of this year. So okay. <laughs> we can maybe speak up then. So that's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank Sam Gong for coming on and telling us all about how graphene is going to solve all of our problems except for my grouchy neighbor. 
I kid, but his batteries are pretty killer, so there is that. I'd also like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work, but most of all, as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.